the idols. They never satisfied. They never satisfied. I hope you heard what that said. These gods that we tend to give ourselves to never satisfy. There is only one God who satisfies. And that is the Lord God. He is the one true God who completely satisfies. The psalmist said it this way. For he, speaking of God, has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled up with what is good. Jesus said this in John 14, 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. You remember the context there. What he was saying as he stood at the well of Jacob in Sychar. He was speaking to the woman who had come to draw water there. He is saying to her, the well, the the water that you drink from this well, you drink it and you will thirst again. But the water that I will give to you, you drink it, you will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. His message was clear so much that she understood exactly what he was saying to her. He was saying this, drink of me and I will satisfy your thirsty soul. He really is all we need. And yet so many don't realize this. The the world certainly doesn't realize that. But what's sad is oftentimes people in the church don't realize that as well. And so the search goes on. People are searching for fulfillment. They're searching for peace and, and meaning to life. I don't know how many of you are reading this book, but I would highly recommend it to you, God's at War. It's a great book. And each week as I preach in this series, I'm sure I will be referring to this book and sometimes reading from it. Today I want to read to you a quote from Kyle Eidelman. It's on page 66 and 67. This is what he has to say as he's talking about these gods of the world that don't satisfy In making your own choice, I would recommend you asking yourself these questions. What enduring value has the God of wealth really brought anyone? Did the gods of pleasure ever once deliver true and lasting happiness? What about the gods of sex? Can they provide a joy that is more than that of a passing moment? What have these gods done for us? If anything, they have enslaved us, they have robbed us, they have disappointed us. Tom Brady was asked that question. If you follow football, you'll know that he has been the quarterback of the New England Patriots. He's a superstar, a guy with three Super Bowl rings. He holds pages of passing records, signed a contract for $48 million a couple of years ago, and has dated a succession of supermodels, eventually marrying one of them. By every standard of this world, he has it going on. 
That's why we were so surprised to hear his interview on TV's 60 Minutes. He asked Steve Croft, the interviewer, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. I reach my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. When Croft asked him what the answer might possibly be, Brady replied, what's the answer? I wish I knew. I love playing football. I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. (laughs) I mean, somebody needs to tell Tom Brady the answer is Jesus. Only Jesus satisfies. Winning the big game, being the Super Bowl champion, does not bring lasting satisfaction and having all of this money and all of this fanfare I mean it does not bring lasting satisfaction Tom Brady is saying there has to be something more than this and he's right the something more is Jesus only Jesus satisfies Satan wants to hide that truth from us He wants us to keep on searching, first here and then there. He hopes, of course, to keep us on that search, never finding that the answer to that search is Jesus. The fact is, there is a war going on for our soul. And that's been made very clear over these last couple of weeks as we've been leading up to this series. Last week, Tim emphasized that so well. There are scriptures that give emphasis to this point, to this truth. The battle is raging between the forces of evil and the forces of good, forces of Satan versus the forces of God. And you and I have to decide who is going to sit on the throne of our life. Watch this little video clip that we have from Kyle Eidelman. As a pastor, I am constantly talking to people who struggle with some kind of sin in their life. They don't do what they want to do. They do what they don't want to do. And they don't understand why they can't find some kind of victory. But here's what I've discovered. That behind every sin we struggle with is really this more significant issue of idolatry. That sin is the fruit, but idolatry is always the tree from which it grows. Let me give you a few examples of what this looks like. A man in our church is indicted on embezzlement charges. When I talk to him about it, he confesses. He says it's wrong. He calls it a sin. Yeah, but why does he struggle with that sin? It's because of idolatry. He has made money and possessions and status his gods. And until he understands it, he's going to continue to struggle with it. Here's another example. I call a young woman in our church who's getting ready to move in with her non-Christian boyfriend. When I speak to her, she doesn't understand why this is such a big deal. Well... It's a big deal because she's got her boyfriend on one side and God on the other, and she has to choose who she's going to listen to. 
Idolatry is always the issue. This is why the Bible speaks to the subject at such great length. More than a thousand verses deal with it. More than 50 commands in the first five books in the Bible speak to this. It's spoken in the first two of the Ten Commandments. It's because God knows that behind every sin that we struggle with, behind the discouragement we deal with, behind the lack of passion and purpose we live with, is this issue of idolatry. There are false gods that are warring for the throne of our hearts. And until they are dethroned and the Lord God takes his rightful place, we will continue to struggle and we will not have victory. So who are you giving your heart to? Which God are you going to worship? The mistake that a lot of people make is to think that they can divide their heart. They, they give part of their heart to God. And then they'll give part of their heart to this God of money. And, and part of their heart to another God. Maybe it's the God of self. And we act as though we're cutting a pie into pieces. One, one piece for you, God. And, and one piece for me. And, and a third piece of my heart goes to my stuff. And... You see from Scripture, this just does not work for God at all. He will not share our heart with any other God. He is a jealous God. He insists upon having all of us for himself. And these verses, the Ten Commandments, the first two that Kyle has just made mention of, Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 to 5, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, commandment number two, you shall not make your, for yourself an, an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14 says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share us any more than what I would want to share my wife with another man. And I know that she feels the same thing about me. She would not want to share me with any other woman. She wants me just for herself. And that's the way God is. He wants us just for himself. He is jealous for that. He desires that, and any threat to that invites his wrath. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. If you're reading this book, you may have read the story about Michael Jordan. Jordan visited a friend who happened to, to work in the executive office for another NBA team. His friend's name was Fred Whitfield. He showed up to Whitfield's house without a jacket on. It was a chilly day that day. And so he asked Whitfield if he had any extra jacket that he could borrow. And so he pointed down the hallway. He said, uh, to the room to the right, you'll find a closet. There's, there's plenty of jackets in there. Just go and choose one for you. And so Jordan walked down the hallway to the right, opened the closet door. And when he looked in the closet, he found all kinds of sportswear. Some was Puma sportswear. Others 
were Nike sportswear. And of course, if you remember, as Jordan was playing, he was very connected to Nike. And so a few minutes he was gone, he came back into the, into the living room where this Fred Whitfield was at waiting for him. And Jordan had collected in his arms all of this Puma sports gear from the closet. And he dropped it on the floor in a heap. And he left, he went back, he gathered more of this kind of sportswear, Puma sportswear, and he brought it all back and he put it in a heap on the floor. And then he went into the kitchen, he rummaged around, he came back with a butcher knife and he cut all of those expensive sportswear pieces. I mean, he just cut them into pieces. And then he he gathered them and he took them out to the dumpster. And when he came back, he said to his friend, Hey, call my Nike representative tomorrow and tell him to replace all of this. But don't you ever let me see you again in anything other than Nike. You can't ride the fence, he said. And that's the kind of radical commitment that God wants from every one of his followers. We can't ride the fence. We can't divide our loyalties. He's not out for just a piece of the pie. No, he wants the whole pie. And if he doesn't get the whole pie, he's not going to be happy. Because he is a jealous God. And he is the one true God. And he is the only God who satisfies. The battle that is being fought between the gods, is for our heart. Our son Jonathan moved this last week to Hallsville, Missouri, which is north of Columbia, about 20 minutes. In fact, he's starting his new ministry this morning there in that Rocky Fork Fellowship Church is what it's called. He's starting there as the minister of discipleship and music. And so as I preach to you this morning, my thoughts are not very far from him. And my prayers are with him today. But Cindy and I, a few weeks ago, went up to Hallsville and we were looking at houses with Jonathan and Chauncey. They are considering buying a house. And there was one house in particular that we looked at from the outside. It just looked almost like a dream house. It, 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 was, it was a really nice house. And it was this lake that was sitting across the road that would have been the view right out their front window. There was a paved walkway around the lake. It was quite a recreational setting. The house was brick. It was split level. It seemed to be priced at at not too bad of a price, not much higher than some of the other houses that we had looked at and uh, that didn't have this kind of setting. And so as we walked into the house, we were just thinking about the possibilities But as we walked into the house, our hearts sank. The main level of the house sat on a concrete pad. The flooring over the concrete was a hardwood laminate. And there was this huge rip. I mean a jagged rip that went the whole length of the floor. And we could tell that it wasn't just the laminate that was ripped. It was the concrete pad underneath that was ripped. This entire house had shifted for whatever reason and every room that we walked in after that was was giving evidence of that fact 
Now, I guess one could go in there and take up the laminate floor and put down new laminate that would cover that rip, but how good would that do? I mean, not very long. Just in a short period of time, the rip would show through again. And I am sure that you could go to every room where the sheetrock was split and you could patch it and you could paint over it and you could cover it, but, but, but that wouldn't last long. The, the, the rips would come back in the sheetrock because when the foundation isn't right, the whole house isn't right. And the same could be said about you and me with our heart. If our heart is not right, then our whole life is not right. Our heart is who we are. And I'm speaking of much more than just the muscle inside of our chest. Let me read that verse to you that we read earlier, Proverbs 4.23. It says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows The springs of life. Let me read it to you from several different translations. The NIV was what we read earlier. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The New King James Version says it this way. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And here's the one I like the best. The New Living Translation. It says it this way. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. It's no wonder the battle that is being fought is for our heart. Whoever wins this battle wins us. Guard your heart above all else. This is top priority. You go home and you watch a football game this afternoon, you're going to see football players who have put pads on before they have gone out to play the game. They put on a helmet. They put on shoulder pads and and all kinds of other padding. You watch a soccer game and you see that those soccer players put on shin guards. Maybe you've been watching some of the baseball games here on TV over the last week or so. Those players, as they come up to bat, they have a helmet on. And a number of them, you'll see, as they're batting, they have a shin guard on and a a guard that that guards their footsteps or or their their instep in case of a foul ball. I saw a pitcher the other day. He came to the plate. He had had an elbow guard on, guarding his pitching arm. We guard those parts of our body that are precious to us. And the writer of Proverbs says this, above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. So for a few moments this morning, let me give to you some practical ways for you to guard your heart. First of all, make sure that you have given your heart to Jesus. I mean, this is common sense. If we want to guard our heart from the gods of this world and the destructive lies that they give to us, then we must choose to give our heart to Jesus. We must decide to let him be the ruler of our life. So we say yes to him. We submit to him in faith and and repentance and Christian baptism. There's so many of us here today that have already done that. There's probably some, though, that have not yet done that. And if you have not given your life to Jesus, if he's not sitting on the throne of your life, then guess who is? 
Satan. I mean, if Jesus isn't on the throne of your life, then there's only one other who is on the throne of your life, and that is the prince of this world, the ruler of darkness. And in order for you to get him out of your life, you have to invite the prince of peace to come into your life. You have to surrender to the Savior. And when he comes in to your heart, then the evil one is forced out. And guess what Peter refers to Jesus as in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. He refers to him as the guardian of your soul. Think about that. Jesus is the guardian of our soul. So when he comes in and takes up residence in our heart through the Holy Spirit, he stands guard to protect us and keep us from the evil one. Jesus is the guardian of your soul. I hope he is. Let me give to you a second point that would follow right on the heels of this. Make sure that you are a spirit-filled Christian. I just recently did some study on the Holy Spirit, and it was good for me to be reminded of the truth about the Holy Spirit. He comes into our life when we accept Jesus, but it is our responsibility to make sure that we are giving to him total access to our life and that he is filling us daily. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. In other words, that is bad. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, the original language infers that this is not just a one-time filling, but rather it is a repeated process. We need to be filled up with the Spirit of God over and over again, and that happens as we ask Him for His filling. When's the last time you asked God to fill you up with His Holy Spirit? I, I, I had to ask myself that question this week, and I ducked my head because I, I, don't, I don't ask him that very often. I, I, don't, I don't pray, God, God, fill me up with your Holy Spirit. That's not a prayer that I pray every day. It needs to be a prayer that I pray every day. And you, you should pray that prayer every day too. Lord, fill me up with your Holy Spirit. Why don't we ask him? To fill us up with his Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us to ask. Luke 11, 11 through 13 says, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There it is. Jesus right there is saying to us, ask the Father to give to you the Holy Spirit and to fill you up with His Spirit. Why don't we ask Him for that filling? 
I think probably because we just, we just don't think about it. Well, Jesus is telling us to think about it. Jesus is telling us to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And be sure of this, when we ask, He will give us that filling. And, and we need to give the Holy Spirit total access to our being. Cindy and I host a small group in our home on Sunday nights. And it's not uncommon for us to have limited access to our entire home for those guests who are with us. Our guests are welcome in that room where we host the small group, the the rec room on the back of our house. And they are welcome into our kitchen and into the living room. It's an open area. They are welcome to go there if they want. And they are welcome to go down the hallway and to the bathroom. Those are the areas that are available for our guests to go to. You know why? Because we have taken the time to clean those areas. They're made readily available for anyone who wants to go in those areas. But the utility room, the door is closed. And you probably shouldn't go in there for your own safety's sake. You know what I'm I'm just, I'm exaggerating, of course. But you know what I'm saying because you have people into your home too. And when they're coming, you know they're coming. You tend to clean those areas in which they're going to be. And you may stuff things away into other rooms and shut the door. Because that's not where they're going to be. And so the utility room is off limits. And we stuff things in there and... Our bedroom is off limits because maybe maybe we haven't dusted that week in the bedroom. And I've got my pile going. You that were at the marriage seminar over the weekend, you heard uh, Peter talking about he was a piler. Well, I'm a piler. You know, the mail comes and it goes in a pile. And I'm going to get to it, Cindy. I'm going to eventually get to it. And I've got work clothes I've been painting on my house the last number of weeks. And I don't just wear a pair of work clothes for a day and then take it to the the laundry uh, basket. No, I'm going to wear those work clothes for a week. (laughs) And so I pile them somewhere. And I'm going to get back to them. And so the bedroom's off limits. And isn't that what we sometimes do with the Holy Spirit? Come into my life, Holy Spirit, but my pocketbook is off limits to you. Don't try to get control of my pocketbook. It's untouchable. It's mine. It's not yours. My eyes, Holy Spirit, are mine. Don't don't ask control of my eyes. I like to look and I like to lust and I like to get on the computer and go to that website that I shouldn't be at. Don't ask control of my eyes, Holy Spirit. And my mind and that grudge that I'm holding on to, don't 
ask for control of that. I like having that grudge. I deserve the right to have that grudge towards that person. He wronged me. And so you're welcome to come in, Holy Spirit. But don't ask for full control of my life. Because there are certain areas I don't want to give you access to. That doesn't work with God. God wants to come into our life through the Holy Spirit and we are to give Him open access to every inch of our life. And we let Him do His work in us and we listen to Him and we submit to Him and we repent of our sins and then we let Him fill us to overflowing and we obey His prompting in our lives That's how we are filled up with the Spirit of God. And with His Spirit, God guards our heart. And He determines the course of our life. You want to guard your heart? You invite Jesus to come into your life. And you invite the Holy Spirit to fill you up to overflowing. And there's a third point here. If you want to guard your heart, be careful of what you put into your heart. And we talked about that not too long ago as we have been in this series on the life of Christ since the first of the year. And we were in Matthew chapter 12 and Jesus was saying, whatever you put into your heart, that's what comes out of your mouth. Feed bad stuff in, you're going to get bad stuff out. Feed good stuff in, you're going to get good stuff out. And so it's no wonder that it's hard for us to know the truth when we leave the truth laying on the shelf all through the week and don't open it up. Now, I know that's not true for a number of you, and I praise the Lord for that. A number of you are in this book. You are in the truth of God. You are letting the truth into your mind. And Jesus says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But if you're filling your mind with the wisdom and logic of this world and leaving the truth closed on your shelf through the week and and the truth isn't having a chance to offset what the world is is telling you, you know what? You're going to be a deceived person then. And you'll be saying things like this. What's the big fuss if I want to move in with my girlfriend or boyfriend? We love each other and it's cheaper to live together than to have two rental fees. You ever heard that? Oh, sure you have. That's the logic of the world. And I don't know how many times I've heard parents say something like this. Well, (laughs) you know, about their child. They love each other. And they're going to get married. I know it's not how they're raised, but... And there's excuses that are given. Or we'll hear something like this. Why does the Christian community get all upset over same-sex marriage? It's their life. Let them do with it what they want to do. 
You see, when we fill our minds with the world's wisdom, then we start thinking like the world thinks, and we don't realize that the world is opposed to God. There is a war going on. And we better guard our hearts by being careful what we put into it, And we need to be putting into our heart the Word of God. And we need to be putting into our heart good Christian music. We need to be making sure that what we're watching on the TV is fit for a Christian to watch. And what we're looking at on a computer is fit for a Christian to be looking at. Be careful who you hang with because bad company still does corrupt Good morals. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. There's a battle that is being fought for your heart. The God of heaven versus the gods of this world or fighting that battle for your heart, and you will decide who wins the battle. Let's pray together. God, help us to guard our heart. Help us to fill, be filled up with your Holy Spirit, having invited Jesus to be our Savior and invited the Spirit to fill us to overflowing. I pray that this church would be a Spirit-filled church because its members are Spirit-filled. In Jesus' name, amen.